This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Thank you. Oh, right. Do you know what? I've got a stopwatch. I've learned how to use that function on my phone, which is brilliant. So I won't be too long. So you think. <laughs> I'll be as long as I want. Okay. So listen. Oh, I love church. But I also love school holidays, don't you? I'm working through, but my work week just gets much quieter when it's school holidays. So it's like a nice little break. So everything's off, but we're here. Lots of people are away. But um, I am heavily burdened with the word. Are you? Are you? Do you read? Do you get, get the word of God into your life? We should be heavily burdened with the word, shouldn't we? Because I truly believe that not only does God believe speakers in churches to bring the word, but he speaks individually to each and every one of us. So he shares his word. He's never silent. Even though there might be times in our life where it feels like God isn't saying very much, God is never silent. And we need to rest assured in that. So I'm talking today about uh, Pompeii. What? Hold on. That's not in the Bible. No, it's not. We've taken a different route. Uh, I've added a bit on to the Bible. I haven't added anything on to the Bible. War betide you, as the Bible says. So I was on holiday um, last year in Italy and we went to Pompeii. It's always been something I wanted to do. I am a little bit of a, a bit of a geek when it comes to history, stuff like that. Anybody else? Whoa, no, big up the geeks. Come on. Come on. So we were there, and it is as fascinating as you think it's going to be. It is as captivating and as amazing as you thought it was going to be. And we um, joined a tour because I particularly wanted a guide, because otherwise I had visions of me and Joseph trailing around a boiling hot archaeological site for five hours, him getting grumpy, me getting grumpier. So um, I have decided, so we, so we did that, and, and it was really interesting, because I want to tell you this, okay? Pompeii was a town teething with gods. They, were, they, they had a god for everything, right? Don't worry, we are getting to it. There is a biblical principle coming. Nobody panic, all right? It's not just, and here's some slides from my holiday. So what we did, there are temples dating back to like 6 B.C., in Pompeii, set up to Minerva, who was the goddess of art and wisdom, and Bacchus, who's the god of wine. He had loads of followers, right? And um, funnily enough, people were quite keen to join his temple. But there were also, so these were the public gods. They were very into public gods. Public worship had to be continuous. There were special days. There were special feasts. Your worship had to be all the time constant. And it was transactional. As much as you gave would be as good as the blessing you got back. So if you didn't give enough of your worship, then what would happen is you were risking the wrath of the gods. So your worship had to be on point. It had to happen all the time. And they were very much public ceremonies that the people were expected to take part in. Now, when we went into a house in Pompeii, the one house that's been standing, it's got the original colours on the walls. You walk in and there's this quiet little room at the back set apart. And the guy told us, oh, that's the shrine. And we're like, oh, okay. What happened in Pompeii and in Roman citizenship was at the back of a house would be a shrine or an altar and that's where you would worship your private gods okay and the private gods were family ancestry food home anything that was important to you 
and specific to you, you could sacrifice and worship to in your own home. So there was a clear demarcation, a divide between what your public worship looked like. That was for the big stuff. We worship the big gods. When I want big stuff sorted, I worship the big gods. And I do that all the time. But for myself, for the things that are important to me, I go home and worship my little gods. And that's what happened in Pompeii. And at the end of that tour, Joe turned to me and said, there's a sermon in there somewhere. (laughs) So I went, you're right. And it's taken a while for me to get around to writing it, but I am today. And based on the worship that we have just encountered, the living God during, amen? You know what? what God wants from us? And this is it. We do not live in a society where we worship an empty God. A God who demands my worship before he will do any kind of blessing for me. But what we do, what we need to ensure is that there is no division between our public worship and our private worship. And what God is saying is, I need you all. I need all of you. And what I want to see is that there is no this and that that is just all for him all the time, 24-7. So we don't have to make it overtly public all the time and then run back home and say, well, I've praised you for all of that, but actually I I'm really, really worried and seething with resentment and paralyzed with fear about this situation in my life. But I'm not giving that over to you because that's private. That's me. I'll trust you for the world. I'll trust you for the lost. I'll trust you for everything going on in everybody else's life. But when it comes to the things I fear, you leave that alone. That's my private stuff. And so what God is saying was, I want you all. I want you all. And I want you all. Do you get it? He wants you all. He wants you poured out in adoration and worship to him. Not because he wants the glory. He deserves the glory and he gets the glory. He does it so that he can bless. Yes, he does it. He wants to bless. He is looking for hearts to bless. Why? Based on our worship of him? No, but because he's a good, good father. Amen. And today we need to believe that he is a good, good father. So I have three points for you. A mere three points for us to take away. Hardly anything. Oh, the phones are out in the front row. The note-taking has commenced. The unbelievers at the back, not even a pen. (laughs) Point one is this. Okay, I'll go through the three points and then we'll just drill down a little bit. So there's no distinction between our public and private lives, our public and private worship. Point one is this. Where are we locating God in our lives? Point two is, how are we connecting with God? And point three is, how are we responding to God? You got that? So where do we locate? So we kick off, where are we locating God in our lives? Don't worry, Katie, I'm going to go through it again. She goes, what's she say? What's she say? She went fast. She went fast. Tell her to just breathe. (laughs) No, it's a vicious rumor, I breathe. Right, here we go. You ready? We are all about, if you're here today, this is clearly a public acknowledgement of your love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Because I believe, I sort of know most of you, that we are all Christians. So we're here to publicly say, this is my Sunday morning, this is what I do. So what, hallelujah, on a Sunday there is a public acknowledgement. On a Wednesday there's a public acknowledgement. On a Thursday with Tots and YA there's a public acknowledgement. Look at me going to church. Look at me going to plus group. I am publicly acknowledging that I love Jesus. But when I get home, I privately sideline him. And that's what happens. My encouragement to us today is that we locate Jesus in the totality of our lives. 
Do not reserve spiritual talk, spiritual people, spiritual thoughts, and spiritual actions for spiritual times. Okay? It's easy to be a Christian in church. It's easy to be a Christian in plus group. It's easy to be a Christian when you're with another Christian. But the Bible tells us that actually, I want it all. Jesus wants it all. He came so that we can have it all to the glory of God the Father. So what we need to do is remove any ideas from our lives that there is a demarcation that says you're not allowed in here. Access all areas. Yeah? Let's give God access all areas. I want us to look at John. So John chapter 14. I love this. How do we locate God in the everyday life? How do we do it? People are going, well, that's great, Andrea. That's absolutely spitting my eye marvellous. But how do I do it? The answer is simple, my friends. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You see, we can go through every bit of philosophy we want, every bit of ideology, every bit of theology, and we can talk and talk and talk and talk about how, how, how do I do this? And the answer is glaringly obvious. It's Jesus. He came to set us free. So, John chapter 14, here we go. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not, would I have told you? I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See what Jesus is saying? You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can we leave it there for a minute, Lee? I know I gave you loads more verses, but let's leave it there. What Jesus is saying is this. You think you don't know the way, but he is the way. So if you're a Christian, you've already found the way. So when we put obstacles in our path, very often it's we that put those obstacles in our path. The truth is this. So publicly, I can lift my hands and say, I exalt thee. But privately, when I go home, I am cursed by the fear and anxiety that are driving me. Do you understand? By the guilt and the shame that keeps me awake at night. By the absolute paralyzing fear that something will happen to my child or my children, by the fact that my mother and father might die, I might be skint, I might lose my job, I'll never have a partner. All of those things that keep you worried and keep you awake, friends, it's from the enemy. Because what Jesus did was say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And when you find me, you find love, you find freedom, you find peace, you find everything you ever wanted, but were too afraid to ask. We set him apart. Because actually we think, it's always been that way. Why would it change now? Why would it change just because I've got Jesus? But Jesus goes, oh, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You find me, you find everything you ever needed. That, do we believe that though? The thing is, we live our lives like we don't. So now you've all answered, and I believe you, because I don't believe you're liars. Do we believe Jesus is everything? Yes, I do. But we live our lives like he isn't. We live our lives like he's an afterthought. We live our lives, it's like all of a sudden on a Sunday morning, we remember we love Jesus. It's like, oh, I remember you. Yes, you're quite nice. You're quite pleasant. I quite enjoy spending time with you. Now I think about it. I actually quite enjoy spending time with you, Jesus. Why don't I do this more often? Why don't we do it more often? 
Why don't we do it more often? The point is this, okay? That in the Bible, oh, do you see that? <laughs> if that goes down, we're all living in a world of pain. Right, no, we're not, don't worry. What he says is this, Jesus encourages us to light our lamps. Yes? He says, you have lit a lamp, you're a city on a hill. Who's putting it under a bow? We are. You're a city on a hill. He's the light of the world and he lights up us. Do you see? Do you see? So we are the ones who put our lights out. Why? Because when it comes down to it, we don't actually believe he will do what he said he would do. The bottom line stuff. This is fundamental bottom line stuff, isn't it? I think it is. I think what we're saying is, God, I love you. I love you. But I'm not actually sure that I trust you. Serious? Real talk here this morning. I tell you what, we spend too much time trivialising our faith. We spend too much time saying, oh, I love him. Perfect love casts out all fear. And you go home and you're awake all night with thoughts that are coiling in your head. So does perfect love cast out all fear? Yes, it does. But I go back to the same old thought, playing it like a movie screen through my mind. And the knives cut deeper and deeper every time. And at one point, I'm going to have to say, stop, Jesus, take over. We need to be in a place where we are locating God in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our work. You know what? Our day-to-day living is more complex than just getting up and being, isn't it? But that's what we're called to do, get up and be a Christian. The point is that often we forget that he's there at every point. He died for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. He is seated at the right hand of the Father this second praying prayers for you. But we don't believe it really, do we? You you know, you amen the first two things I said, and then the third one was, "Mm, he might be. He might be. He might be. Or maybe he doesn't see it the way I see it. Maybe he doesn't think my stuff is as important as somebody else's stuff. Maybe I don't really believe he's going to come through for me. He is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father making appeal for you. Amen. So that thing that's important to you, believe me, it's important to Jesus. So important, in fact, he's telling God about it right now. Do you believe that? Because he is. Because he does what he says he does. He really does. And the point that we're making is that God is. God is. He isn't an afterthought. He isn't somebody who goes, you know what? I quite like the way you worship me. Carry on doing that. I'm not going to do anything, but carry on with that. He's like, he inhabits the praises of his people. So when you worship, all of a sudden, there is a clarity of thought you never thought you could experience. There is a suffusion of love in our spirit that I never thought I could feel. There is a wisdom and a reality and a feeling of such power that you will never feel anywhere else other than in the presence of the living God. Amen? So why does it stop at 12 o'clock on a Sunday? Because if he's in us, he's in us. He does that all the time. Are you with me? People are like that. Andrea, I thought you were going to show holiday pics and just talk about Pompeii. Do you know what? Chill, yeah? No, I can't chill because time is short and people are dying. You know what? And people aren't just dropping down dead or killing themselves, which they are, and it breaks my heart. People are dying slow, protracted deaths. People are drinking too much. People are taking drugs. People are eating the wrong stuff. 
People are making choices right now as we stand here talking about Jesus that will be harmful to their futures. And they're doing it right now. And the time for self-indulgent navel gazing, patting each other on the back and saying, don't worry, perfect love cast out of here, is done. Do you worship a living God? I worship a living God. I worship a God who loves, who cares, and who acts. But how does he act? Through us. <laughs> Through us. If you unite with God, you unite with Jesus. It is about the totality of your life uniting as a one whole and not compartmentalizing it into bits that we think is okay. Yes? Christ Jesus came for freedom. He put steel in our convictions. This is real stuff. So how do we do it? There are core values. There are core values that we need to focus on and strengthen. That's why I brought this book. This book's brilliant, by the way. If anybody wants to borrow it, you can borrow it, but I want it back. <laughs> right? So this is a book by Christine Kane called The Core Issue. And she goes through how we need to practice those core elements. For me, I have this mantra, whatever you want to call it. You know what? What are my core values? Trust, obey, read, pray. Trust, obey, read, pray. I tell myself that. You know what? When times get hard, Andrea, what am I, oh, what am I supposed to do? Trust, obey, read, pray. Trust, obey, read, pray. Trust, obey, read, pray. Go back and do it. It's no good in my head. Trust, obey, read, and pray. That's my thing. Come up with your own. I'm TMing that. You can charge you for it. <laughs> Trust, obey, read, pray. These are core values that God is going. I have given you everything you need for godly living. Do you understand? When God says that, he isn't saying, but there's a couple of little secret bits I held back that I'm not going to tell you about until you're in real dire straits. He doesn't say that. The Bible says, I have given you everything everything you need for godly living hallelujah which means i can do it which means we can do it which means we can do it together yeah it means we're in this together there's no hierarchy with god there's no hierarchy jesus doesn't play favorites you know even John, who wrote the book of John, why did I just say that? That was, a, that was a filler sentence in my head, and I have no idea why I said it. Even John, right here, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Jesus never called him that. Jesus never said, and then there's John, who I like a little bit more than the rest of you thickos. You know? He didn't say that. What he said was, John owned his own relationship with Jesus and said, he loves me. You th you're jealous of the fact that he loves me? Go back and sort your own relationship out with him then because he loves you just as much. But I'm telling you now, I am loved by Jesus. So John could write down in sureness, in that perfect assurance that only comes from reality of Jesus Christ in your life, I am beloved by him. He owned that for himself. We need to own our labels and reject all other labels that other people try to put on us. You know what those labels are? People have tried to labor you with all through your lives. Reject them now. You are beloved by the Most High God. Amen. I am my beloved and he is mine and his banner over me is love. What can change that? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not death, not war, not kings, not people, not bullies in school, not a mother, not a father, not a sibling, not a boss, not anybody can change that the banner over you is love. Amen. Amen and amen. You should be being, jumping up your seats and high-fiving each other right now, kicking each other in the face and going, I love you in Jesus' name. 
Let's strengthen our conviction in him. He is real. He who promised is faithful. Friends, let's start acting like it. Let's believe it. Do you know I've moved the stopwatch? I don't know if I did that subliminally because I don't actually want to see how long I've been talking for. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. 11 minutes, 52 seconds. Oh, 11 hours, 52 seconds. Something's, I think I've actually turned it off. This could go either way, church. Let's just see what happens. Okay, come with me on a journey back in time through John. We're not on verse four, chapter 14 anymore. We're in chapter 3. Oh, hold on, Andrea. We know what's in chapter 3, John. We all know what's in chapter 3, John. It's the one Bible verse everybody knows. It's the only Bible verse some people know. <laughs> Shameful. So, the second point is this, okay? So the first point was, where is God? Yeah? Where are we locating God? The second point is this. How are we connecting with God? I've also subtitled this, is there Wi-Fi? <laughs> because that's the world we live in, isn't it? Connectivity all the time. What's the Wi-Fi password? What's the Wi-Fi? Have you got the password? Have you got 4G? Have you, can you, uh, it's like losing both your legs if you can't connect. Because clearly something essential might have happened on Instagram and you could have missed it. And then the world will stop spinning and we'll all die. No. Okay? But this is, this is where I came with this. How are we connecting with God? We like to connect. That's the world we live in. We are built for connection. We are built for relationship. But we all want the same password in order to connect to the one thing. But God says, I want a personal relationship with you. We've all got individual passwords and the password is Jesus, and it looks different for each and every one of us. But what we can't do is have a proxy relationship with Jesus for someone else. As much as I would love to do that for my child, he has to have his own relationship with Jesus. As much as you want to save your kids right now, all of you sitting there, they have to have their own relationship with Jesus. Young people, you don't look at your parents to do it for you. Jesus is looking at you and going, do you know what? You put your hands up in worship, I expect you to worship me. You don't look at your mother and go, I did have my hand up, mammy, but can you be godly for me through the week? Huh? Don't look at the person sitting next to you and go, oh, I'm meeting them for coffee. I'll be super godly on Thursday in the coffee when I meet them. And that'll be enough, yeah? Because they're quite godly. So they'll somehow, by osmosis, I'll get a bit more godly. That'll be, that, that's how it works, yeah, God? That's how it works. And God's going, no. Let's look at John chapter 3. Because that brilliant verse is in it. That life-changing, love-giving verse. John 3.16 is in it. But you know what this verse, this chapter's all about? It's about a man who wanted to know Jesus. It's about a man who didn't know what he needed to do to get Jesus. It's about a man who knew it all. He was a Pharisee. His name was Nicodemus. He was a clever clogs. He was the Jewish law. He was the Jewish law. He was, you know, people like us would go to him to say, what does the law say about this? He knew it all. He had all the facts, but was none the wiser. He had to get to know Jesus personally. And I'm going to read it because it's beautiful and we should read it. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Amen. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. See? See, he's saying it. I tell you the truth. 
I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked, does this sound familiar? You ever sitting there going, what do you mean, God? God! Just explain it a bit better. And he's going, you have to be born again and Spirit-filled. We got that? I'm going back to reading it in a minute. This is a, this is a, this is a by-point. Sub-point. You... Ha- this, this is key. This is core stuff. This is a bottom line fundamental. In order to enjoy the fullness of relationship with Jesus Christ, you must declare him as your saviour, be born again and spirit filled. We all in agreement with that? There is no other way to God the Father. The Bible is telling us clearly we can talk around that as much as we want in order to enjoy the fullness of relationship with Christ Jesus. We must be born again and we must be spirit-filled. He must be Lord and Saviour and Redeemer of our entire life and existence. There is no other way. Amen. He is not a plan B. He is not a subsection B. He's not a footnote in our history. He is. He is. He was. He is. And he is to come. He's coming back again. We're on the winning side. Okay? Whisper it. Okay? The devil should be quaking in his boots because we inhabit that knowledge. We must be born again. We must be spirit-filled. Okay? I return. Here we go. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Amen? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hallelujah. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But, but, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plain, seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Amen. You see don't just read John 3.16. Read all of it. It's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? This is an exchange. Do you know what? The struggles you have in the darkness, unless you bring them into the light, will harm you. Yeah? What we do is we think, oh, God, you don't want to see my dark. You want to see what my dark looks like. I don't want any of you seeing what my dark looks like. And Jesus said, what are you saying? I'm not going to show it to everyone else. I need you to bring it to my light and I redeem it and you are saved. Amen. You know what? The stuff that we struggled with, we put away and we don't. We think, do you know what? If I don't think about it, if I don't do anything about it, it'll go away all by itself. 
That is very rarely the case, friends. These things have a way of coming back at you. Any suppressed emotion, anything, anything that you think, I'm not going to look at that. It's too hard. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to put it over there. Because you know what? I choose to believe that people are good. I choose to believe that people are not malicious. And that when we have issues in our life that we don't deal with our own, it's not because we deliberately want to harm ourselves or other people. It's because we genuinely think it is better for everyone not to do anything about it. It's far less hurtful for me and for the people in my world if I don't look at that stuff. Would you agree? But what happens is, if you just sit on that, if you don't resolve it, if you don't look at it in the eye and call it by its name and deal with it, it will come back when you least expect it and wreak havoc. And what generally happens is I work with young people. We, I see the stuff that's been suppressed. They generally speaking, this happens, can happen in adulthood as well. You either internalize it and it becomes really destructive and harmful for you, or it becomes external. And the world around you, you are a fizzing ball of fury. You're offending, you're hateful, you're difficult. And you know what? The people like that, they're not m bad. They're sad. People aren't bad. Generally speaking, they're sad because there was something that needed to be dealt with and they didn't. Now, when those people are not Christians, we really abide with that, don't we? And say, look, there is a way to deal with this. But you know, if we're Christians sat here today and that's our story, God is going, bring it to me, put it at the foot of the cross with Jesus, it's dealt with. But we have to be that proactive and say, I want this dealt with. I can't go on another second, Lord, with this not being dealt with. And Jesus goes, awesome, let's deal with it. Watch how that works out for you. And I'm not saying it won't hurt. And I'm not saying it won't change things. But you know what? We are changed through Jesus to be agents of change in our world. If you are set free, you set other people free. The devil wants you in chains, friend. He wants you tied up. He wants you not living your life free. You think you're free. We think we're free, but we're not because that one thing that holds us back and we won't connect with Jesus to put it right. But what I'm saying today is this, right? If you are not connected to Jesus about everything, every single connection you think you have to him is, is compromised. Are you with me? You are not, we are not enjoying a whole relationship with God if we have not submitted everything to him through Jesus Christ. Do you understand? That's not condemning. It's exactly what Jesus is saying, isn't it? It's like, look, lights come into the world, but men don't get it. They don't get it because they love the darkness. Now, nobody's sitting there going, you're right, Andrea. I enjoy a bit of darkness. There's nothing I enjoy more than lying awake at night torturing myself about this stuff. It feels marvellous. Of course it doesn't. But what we don't understand is, is that it doesn't have to be like that. We, we, we get into a pattern of thought and behaviour where we can't possibly contemplate that it could ever be different. This situation I'm in right now, that's going to last forever. The way I feel right now, that's going to last forever. I felt this way since a child. Why would it change now? No, 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 no. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Jesus came to set you free. Do you understand? So you have to, you know, we have to, and even if it's physical, write it down, screw it up. And put it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And watch him release you. 
Watch him release you. Watch your world around you change. Watch the people around you change. Watch your destiny suddenly unfold before you because Jesus is saying, now you get it. It has to be everything. You know, Nicodemus is only mentioned three times in the Bible. This time, the very famous chapter where he goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? The second time we see him, do you know what he's doing? He's standing up for Jesus when he's being persecuted. In the trials, it's Nicodemus who stands up and says, but we must do justice. What about justice? When all the Sanhedrin are baying for Jesus' blood, it's Nicodemus who stands up and says, but I plead for justice for this man. He's done nothing wrong. Amen? Do you see when your struggle's in the dark, you get released into the light? It makes you braver, friends. It makes you courageous. It makes you the, the talk of the town. People must say, who does he think he is then? He was all against Jesus the other day and now he's standing up and doing this. Yeah, go on, talk about me. If that's all you've got, that's all you've got. But I stand for what's right. I stand for justice in Jesus' name and I will stand up and have my voice heard and say, what about justice? What about Jesus? The third time we see Nicodemus, do you know when that is? When he's risking his life with Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' dead body down off the cross to bury him before Sabbath. He risked his life. He could have been killed. So he went from questions in the dark to a declaration in public in the light. That's our trajectory. You become fearless. And people will say, you could get killed for doing that. I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm doing it for Jesus. Now, I pray that none of us here are ever in a position where our lives are risked for it. But you know what? Sometimes our way of life is at risk for it. You know, we're not in Syria, are we? We're not in, we're not in Pakistan. We're not where a gunman could shoot through here right now. We're not in America. Flipping heck, oh, God bless America. What's happening there? You know, people at prayer and somebody just comes in and shoots them. The risk of that happening today is so tiny, right? But the risk of my lifestyle being altered when I go home if I'm different is huge. And maybe I don't want that to change. Maybe I like my comfy life. Maybe I like my comfy friends. Maybe I like all of that. Ah, you know what? When Jesus came, he didn't come to make life comfy. He came to set you free. So you might not lose your life, but you might lose some of your way of life. And that needs to be dealt with and processed because Jesus is bigger and God deserves the glory. Amen? Amen. You know what? Time is short and there's stuff at stake. Is this all right? Am I wittering? I don't care. But, you know, it's good to check. Okay. So what we need to do now, we need to reframe everything. What Nicodemus had to do was reframe everything. The way you've always been doesn't have to be the way it always is. Those labels, reject them. That thing, those friends, reject them. Doesn't mean you don't hate, don't hate them. But you know, like if you need to be different and you're knocking about with people who are bringing you down, why are you with them? If your life is toxic, why are you, why are you living that life? Why are we doing that? It's for freedom Christ set us free. I'm asking you to connect with God. I'm asking us all to connect with God. And it has to be personal. It has to look personal. He, you know, Jesus doesn't want like Instagram followers. Oh gosh, we are like the same thing. Oh my goodness, how many followers have you got? Jesus is going, I want you. Don't look at my Instagram page, Jesus is saying, and see how many people are already on this. You can anonymously start following me. Yeah? You're just one of a crowd. Jesus is going, how about you? How about you? I'm coming to talk to you. How about you? How about you? Connect with me. It's about a real relationship. Ask yourselves today, how close do you want to get? That's what it comes down to. 
how close do I want my personal relationship to be? So that is point three now. How close do I want my relationship to be? Because point three is this. How do we respond to God? How do we respond to God? Answers from the floor. No, I'm joking. How are we respond to God? Is our life a response? You know, our worship is a response, isn't it? Our worship. And worship is more than a song, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a life where I take my life and I pour it out for Jesus and I can worship wherever I am. I can worship in the car when I see the mountains. I can worship in my house and say, thank you for all of this. I can worship when I'm with friends. I can worship when I'm in church. I'm expected to worship when I'm in church. I can worship wherever I am because the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim his goodness. And how do people see the goodness of God? It is through his people. So that is a call upon us to respond to God in a way that is godly. It is commitment. It is, you know what? We talk a lot about a relationship with God. Do you know what a relationship with God is? A relationship. It's not, it's not right. You know, we think, right, let me write it. Do you know what? I'm going to read books. I'm going to read books on how I have a relationship with God. Right, I'm going to read books on it. There we go. I'm going to, I'm, here I am right now willing myself to have a relationship with God. And God's going, uh, do you know what? What's your relationship like with the people around you? What do you expect from a relationship? We expect truth. We expect honesty. We expect love. We expect good things from the relationships we have. It's the same with God. Our relationship with God is a relationship. Do you know what? If you're not healthy in your relationships, your relationship with God will never be healthy. It won't be. So if you walk into relationships thinking, do you know what, I'm just going to get toxic and a toxic abuse from this, but that's okay because I don't deserve any better. This has been the pattern of my life. Then you know what? Your relationship with God will never be whole. Because that's what you're expecting. You're expecting a Victorian dad, God, who's going to withhold love from you until you do something to deserve it. That is not God. If our relationships are always argumentative and shouty, we're always going to be on the defensive with God. We're never going to be in a place where we can accept any, any correction from God. It'll always be other people's fault. Serious talk now. Your relationship with God will be as healthy as you are. Which is why the Bible tells us to get healthy. To get healthy. To put good things in our lives. To focus on what is good. Challenge negative thoughts when they come. Do you challenge negative thoughts? I do this all the time in work. CBT stuff, here we go. When a thought comes in, a thought is neutral. Yeah? And we think thousands of thoughts a day. Most of them we just delete automatically. Our brain does that. Like, so delete, 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 delete. But often one will get in. One will get in and just rebound around and around and around in our head going, no, we're getting bigger, getting bigger, getting bigger, getting bigger. And you know what? We need to challenge that thought. You're like a tennis umpire where you look at it and think, out, call it out. If it's not a right thought, get rid of it. So thoughts like, I'm useless. I'm always like, oh, I'm always like this. I always fail stuff. Do you know what? Challenge that thought. Challenge that thought. I can't do that. I'm not good enough. Challenge that thought. I'm not loved. Challenge that thought. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because those thoughts get bigger and they colour everything. Because when you think, that's when you start to feel. 
and your emotions will, will encourage you to act a certain way. So you think it, you feel it, you behave a certain way because of it, which brings its own consequences. So all of a sudden, you're thinking and feeling a lot more toxic, negative stuff. All because way back here, there was a thought that got in. Now, when the Bible tells us to focus on what is good, what is true, what is pure, what is holy, that is what it's saying. Because if you focus on something that is negative, it will crush you down. It'll crush your spirit. And it is for freedom Jesus set you free. So when we challenge our thoughts, we are doing God's work. Take every thought captive for Christ. That's what it means. That's what it means. I don't like her. She looked at me funny. Take every thought captive for Christ. Who cares? She might have. She might not have. It's none of your business. Yeah? Crack on with Jesus. C can you see what I'm saying? Oh, I'm really, I'm, I'm really nervous. I'm really anxious. I'm always anxious. If I go there, I'll always be anxious. Something will happen and I'll always be, I'm going to always, I'm going to always. No, do you know what? With God, you are confident. You, we do get anxiety. We do get fear. That stuff is real. But you know what? We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Get yourself some support and help around that stuff. I've got another book on that, if anybody wants to borrow it. It's rather marvellous. It's written by a vicar about mindfulness. I love it. Anyway, this is why we do it. Do you know how you get healthy? Do you know how you get healthy? There is a verse in the Bible that tells us how we can be healthy, how we can connect with God, and how, what our response should be. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then what do you do? You love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we do it. That's our response. So we should love the Lord our God like that with everything. We should love others like that with everything. We should love ourselves like that with everything. Because then why? Why? It's to the glory of God the Father. You're created in his image. Your response, if it's negative, do you know that's a dysfunction of our worship? When we compare ourselves unfavorably to the image of God, he created you in his likeness to do good works in Christ Jesus. Amen. So when you look at yourself and say, but I'm not like that, you're saying to God, you're not good enough. You messed up and you made me. And God's going, no, I never. No, I never. I did it just right, actually. So our dysfunction of worship can take on any guises. But when we compare ourselves unfavorably to others, or when we compare ourselves unfavorably to ourselves, then you need to know that's a dysfunction of worship. Because God made you. Amen. And you're lovely. A bit. A bit. No, you're lovely. And why do we do it? Why do we do it? Philippians 2.9, Martin actually said, I, we, didn't even, we didn't confer on that. So do you know what? That's a God word for this morning. Go and read Philippians 2, verse 9. Okay, this is the reason that we do it. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. He gave him a name, it says, that is above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on earth, in heaven, and under the earth to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That's why we do it. That's why God wants you connected. That's why he wants you to be locate him in the totality of your life. That's why he wants to connect with you. That's why he wants our response of heart. It's not so that he can selfishly have the glory. His glory is undiminished. It is so that we can live full in Jesus 
for the glory of God the Father. It's all about him. It's all to him. It's all for him. It's all from him. So let's live our lives connected completely. No more public and private gods. No more public and private worship. It's all one. And what we sing is, I exalt thee. Amen. So I exalt you publicly. I exalt you privately. I exalt you in church when I don't know what's going on. I exalt you privately when I don't know what's going on. I exalt you publicly when I know what I'm saying. I exalt you privately when it's all going to nothing. I exalt you over everything. There is nothing that I am hiding from you, Lord. There is nothing that you can't be king over. Whatever situation that I want to keep to myself because I don't think you can work in it, God goes, you give it to me right now. No more private worship. It's all public and for his glory. Have a great week. Have a great week. I pray God the Father will bless you out of hand. Shaken down, pressed down, running over. You are his. Live like you're his. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.